we were traveling to see one of the uh, missions work and I had to go to a pilgrim place and <clears throat> uh, these are like hundreds, probably thousands of um, those going on pilgrims taking a, taking a vow to uh, live very, you know, very simply. And then they would walk. They would walk hundreds of kilometers to get to this temple. And we were passing by in the car, and I saw one of those gentlemen who was sitting, uh, you know, by the edge of the road, and it felt like he couldn't walk anymore, and that's it. You know, he, he had this hopeless, uh, look of hopelessness in him. And that just caught my attention. It felt like, you know, he couldn't now keep the vow that he had made to his deity. He probably won't get blessed because he is not able to complete the work. I, I don't know what that sense of hopelessness was, but we started to discuss in the car, and we said, why is there that such devotion in these people? And you will find such devotion in every religion. You would find that in Hinduism or Islam or even Christianity that is uh, practiced as a religion. Such devotion, and yet, for us who know what the truth is, we know who God is, we know what we have received, and, and we still don't have that kind of devotion. And so we, we were struggling. We were saying, why? Why is there this disparity? And this is what we came up with. And we said, you know, there is that hunger in them. There is that thirst in them, which they keep running. They keep going back week after year after year. And it's not satisfied. They, they're not, they don't have the satisfaction, and so they're desperate. And for us who have found that satisfaction, our hun hunger is satisfied, our thirst is quenched, it should have been gratitude, it should have been a thankfulness that should have been more powerful than their hunger, more powerful than their desire to quench their thirst. We, we, we seem to not have the same giving up of ourselves to our God as much as they, they do. And that, that really caught my attention. That really bothered me. Uh, we do this talk on giving once a year. Now, we want to do that at the beginning of the year because we don't have a specific need that I'm going to ask you to necessarily you know, pay towards, but, but that our giving would be a, a, because it's a culture, it's, it's a desire because giving is actually an act of grace. That is what I want to lead you to. The giving is not because we want something or the church wants something from you, but because you get to receive when we participate in this act, act of grace. And um, uh, preaching on giving is difficult, you know, like most, you, you step away because you feel like church is always talking about, you know, give, give, give. And... Uh, people don't want to be talking about their finances. Nobody wants to be told about you know, how to manage finance or whatever it is. And so it, it is a tricky subject. But as I was reading 
from God's word. And I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we'll look at chapter 8 till chapter uh, 12, chapter 1, chapter 8, verses 1 to 12, but we may not be able to cover the entire passage. Uh, but that's the passage in front of us, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. But you will see here how Paul is very committed in talking about giving. And there are some lessons there which I want to draw our attention to. In fact, there are seven principles in this passage that I want to uh, draw out and that we can engage ourselves in. But I want to call, I want to call the title as um, <clears throat> what if I don't have what to do when we can't give? I don't have money. Like you talk about giving, but we don't have. What do you do then? And that is what this passage is all about. And so before we look at the passage, let me just pray and then we'll start. Father God, we look to your word and we pray that you would speak to us. Give us, Lord, this attention, this, this, this discernment to know that it is you who is going to be talking to us. It's your spirit, of, the spirit of God will be speaking to us. And so keep us away from distraction. Help us, Lord, to stay focused. Speak to our hearts. Tell us, Lord, because we want to do what you want us to do. Uh, we, we just don't want to be hearers of your word, but we want to actually do your word. So be it, O oh God, we pray. We thank you again in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Before I read the passage, I want to go through each of these verses one by one as we go through the principles. But before I do that, I want to give you the context to this passage. It's written to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church had had agreed to uh, collect a donation and send it to the poor in Jerusalem. But that was about a year ago. And since then, they have not done this. So Paul is now going to be sending Titus to the Corinthian church and to say, hey, listen, you need to uh, keep your word. And in doing that, he writes this and gives the example of the Macedonian church who gave. Macedonia is in North Greece, which is where you have Thessalonica, you have the Philippi, uh, you have the Berean, you know, that's the area. And those people had given, and he uses their example to encourage the Corinthian church. Now, why do we have to talk about giving? It's because when it comes to giving, many people stop at nothing, literally. It's difficult to give. We don't think we are, you know, we need to give. We are not bound by the law of the Old Testament. And, and so what is it that we, uh, what is it that God's word is telling us? That is what I want to draw your attention to. So having said that, let's turn, therefore, to verse 1. And the principle there is generosity is a result of the grace of God. Verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Notice that Paul is not about keeping giving secret. You know, I mean, we, we, we tend to, you know, not want to let others know about this giving. But Paul is actually celebrating this. He's celebrating what Macedonian church has given. And he calls it what? He calls it the grace of God. He calls it the grace of God that this Macedonian church 
has received. And he uses this phrase, grace of God, four times. Verse 1 we saw. Verse 6, again, according we urge Titus, and he started towards, uh, towards the end of verse 6, we, say, we see again it's called the act of grace. Verse 7, verse 19, and each of these times it's about giving. And he calls it the act of grace, or the grace of God. And what's interesting is in the rest of the New Testament, the grace of God is about the gospel. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we read, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So I want you to notice the synonymous nature of the grace of God, gospel and giving. That Paul is saying that this is the grace of God that the Macedonian church have been bestowed upon when they gave. There is... This combination, like I said, is a synonym, synonymous nature. We see that in the life of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. When Zacchaeus meets the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he tell the Lord? He says, I'm going to return four times if I have taken wrongly from anybody. And I'm going to give half my property away, half my wealth away. And the Lord Jesus Christ says this, he says, today salvation has come to this house. There seems to be this connection between this gospel and this giving. The synonymous nature. And we see here in the church of Macedonians as they give. Well, I want you to notice another thing before, uh, before we go down, is that grace of God appears in verse 1, and then again later in verse 9. Uh, and we've seen that, that if these are the bookends, if grace of God are the bookends, then whatever is in between is considered to be the grace of God. So that's the way he, uh, Greek writers write. So grace of God. I want you to notice all of this that we're going to be talking about, especially this giving, is about the grace of God. All right, so the Macedonian, we want you to know, brothers, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Um, this grace of God has been a distinguishing mark of the New Testament church. I, I like this quote that Tim Keller puts so well. It says there that the early church was strikingly different from the culture. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. I thought it was very powerful, right? So this anti-cultural uh, nature of the gospel that when God stirs your heart in this grace of God, well, one of the things that happens is giving generosity. Having said that, let's go to the next principle, principle two. Principle two says, generosity reflects the cross of Christ. For on a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I want you to notice here the paradox the paradox is just 
is, um, if you go to the next slide, the paradox there, it says severe test of affliction times abundance of joy and extreme poverty is less than the wealth of generosity. That is, more affliction plus more poverty is more generosity. This is interesting. I want you to understand that this is about the cross of Christ, where there has been extreme affliction, and through that extreme affliction, we, we see extreme generosity. And so the Macedonian church is saying to us that it is not because they have excess that they can give, but they give out of that extreme test of affliction. They've been persecuted. There's been trouble. There's, it's not been an easy time. And then they have extreme poverty, but with abundance of joy that they have this wealth of generosity. God is clear. The way he measures wealth is through generosity. Generosity is the measure that we see. I mean, I, I think about it, you know, our Christian faith may be the only religion, only faith that uses a, a humiliating a torture device as its symbol, the cross. When you see a cross in the first century, it means death. It's not an ornament that you just walk you know, walk around wearing and enjoying. It's, it's about death. That's because Christians recognize that at the core of their faith is this extreme uh, affliction, as it were, and yet brings out joy, brings out uh, generosity. What God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ is the example that we see here in the Macedonian church. In, in um, Myanmar in 2012, started measuring what is called the Gross National Happiness, GNH. Like we do gross national product, you know, how, how, much, how the economy is doing, and they started measure, measuring happiness. Now the UN does that, the UN does that every year, and Finland's been on top of the list for some years now, and if you're interested, Canada is number nine. You're not bad. Nine is okay. Measuring happiness, like how happy are you living in a country? But when it comes to God's word, what, he is, what it measures is not happiness, which is turned inward. It's not about how happy I am, but how generous I am. It's outward. Generosity is the measure of wealth that no circumstance can erode. No persecution, no affliction can take away, but in fact helps in the wealth of, of uh, generosity. Third principle in verses 3 and 4. According to their means... Uh, generosity responds sacrificially, verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond the means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And they gave according to their means and beyond the means. I, I, I like how this comes, comes to, you know, is very important for us to remember. They gave according to their means, you know, if you have two mites, you, 
out of that you give. If you have $2 million or whatever it is, you give according to that, according to your, uh, according to your capacity. And yet what they do is they seem to have uh, uh, made some lifestyle adjustments so that they could give more. They don't, they don't have the line of credit. They don't have credit cards. They didn't have anything that they can dip into and borrow. They had to make life, lifestyle adjustments. And they did. Uh, in our case, I think we depend more on the credit card than on Christ. But the matter of the fact is this, that they begged earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief. They understood that this participation is a favor. And they begged earnestly. There's this earnestness in their sacrifice. They, they were not, in their willingness, they were not just being selfish. But they participated. Uh, David Jeremiah says this so well. Giving sacrificially means giving up something we want in order to do something that God wants. Let me read that again. Giving sacrificially. When you give sacrificially, when you, you know, and sometimes say, you know, I'm not, uh, not going to have coffee, Starbucks coffee. That's, uh, we call it five bucks, right? Uh, $5 a day I'm going to save so that I can give sacrificially. So giving sacrificially means giving up something we want in order to do something that God wants. To give sacrificially. Let's go to the fourth principle in verses five. Generosity removes selfishness, verse five. And, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God and in the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord and in the will of God to us. They, there is this priority in their lives. What they realized is I don't come first. It is God and then others and then me. I mean, that, that is generosity. I want us to understand that is what is happening. I, I, I want you probably do a, uh, uh, this exercise. You, you look up your bank statement or you look up your credit card statement and you see what kind of expenses come up there. And that probably will tell us what our priority is. And we see the Macedonian church. They beg for this favor. And then they give first to the Lord, and then to the others, and then to ourselves. In Sunday school, we've been taught that spells joy, right? If you put Jesus on top, J, others, O, and you, letter, that's Y, J-O-Y. The Macedonian church understood that to be the truth. I think our you know, I don't know how many of you made uh, New Year resolutions. Uh, we have started to resolve some years ago. We started to resolve we will not make any resolutions because every resolution we make, we fail at. And that's true. You know why? Because most of these resolutions are about us. I want to. It's about us. Uh, I want to. 
And then we try, I want to lose weight, I want to go to the gym, I want to, you know, I don't know, uh, whatever you fill in the blank. But we fail. Because it's self-focused. But learn this attitude when it turns into being other-focused or God-focused. That's a resolution that fills you with joy. And so how do we do it? And I was thinking, like, how, how, what do I do? How do I make this practical in my life? I make a list and ask the things that I do and ask, does it please God or does it please me? And then I make, I prioritize and I say, I'd make God, the things of God primary and my needs secondary. And um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we, we, we read about how, you know, on this foundation you build with gold, silver, precious stone, or you might build it with um, uh, wood, hay, and straw. And what you build with, uh, if it is hay, straw, and wood, it'll get burnt up, but if it's gold, silver, precious stones, it, it will stay. And I think this is how we, we can understand what is what. What you build for others, what you do for others, what you do for God is the building of gold, silver, and precious stones. What we do for ourselves, the temporal, what, you know, we want to satisfy ourselves, that would be the hair straw word. And, and to stay eternally focused, to say it's not about me, but I want to do this for God and for others would be our opportunity when we are around the throne to see those work remain. What we do for ourselves will get burnt up. What we do for his glory and for his pleasure will be eternal. Principle five. So we've looked at generosity as a result of the grace. Generosity reflects the cross of Christ. Generosity responds sacrificially, and generosity removes selfishness. Now, I want, you to, want us to look at verses 6 and 7, which says, generosity requires encouragement to excel. Accordingly, we urged Titus that, he, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, that in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You see, again, this act of grace keeps coming up again and again. And what Paul is doing, he's sending Titus to the Corinthian church. He's saying, hey, you, it's been a year since you guys have been saying you will send money to the church in Jerusalem because they're in, they're in, they're in need, and, and I'm going to send you Titus. I don't know what he did, whether he preached on giving or whether he, you know, he nagged them into giving, whether he encouraged them to giving or whether he had seminars on financial planning. We don't know what he did, but we see Paul actually sending Titus to encourage them for this act of grace. If we understand that giving to God is not something which we, you know, it's not coercing you into you know, into 
give, and giving you false promises that, that if you give uh, $10 and God will make you 100 you know, that is, that is not what the Bible says. It's not the planting of the seed and investing so that you can get more here, but it's an act of grace. So the encouragement is uh, what Paul does is sends Titus. But then what he says also to see to it that you excel in this act of grace. Not just that you, you participate in this act of grace, but that you excel in this act of grace. Verse 7 lists the various things that the Corinthian church excels. They excel in faith. They excel in speech. They excel in knowledge. They excel in earnestness. They excel in love for the apostles. And now Paul is saying, I want you to excel in this act of grace, in giving. We can sometimes be so knowledgeable but not act on it. We could, we could talk about faith and we, we, we could do all of those things. But Paul is saying, I want you to excel in this act of grace in giving. That's in verse 7. But verse 8, we see the sixth principle. Generosity is reinforced through genuine love. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. See, I want you to understand this. Paul is forceful, but he is not commanding. He's not saying, I command you to give. That in this passage and in the rest of New Testament, we will see giving is not a, is not a command um, in the way we read in the Old Testament. But in verse 3, we see that of their own accord. In verse 4, we saw that it was a favor. And then in verse 12, we will see how it's according to what he has or she has. It's according to what they give and later we see in in second corinthians 9 and and how god loves a cheerful giver it's about your gratitude of heart it's a act of grace and so that you would give generosity however he says will reflect it's a test of your love your love is what will show when you are generous. You see, I mean, uh, you think about this, your kids, your grandkids, we, we, we're not, we don't penny pinch when it comes to our family, right? Grandfathers, grand, grandparents can attest to that. Our parents can attest to that. Because we love our kids, we love our grandkids. And so Paul is saying this, when you give, it talks about your generosity talks about your love. It tests your love. And in verse 7, I'm sorry, uh, uh, principle 7 is in verse 9. This is the verse that everybody knows. Generosity reminds others of Christ. And we looked, to, looked this up earlier. We said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty uh, we might be made rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with the grace 
of God among the Macedonians, and now he gives the loftiest pattern, the greatest example that is found in Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, what Paul is now saying, how did Jesus give? How did our Lord give? That's the grace that we have come to know. Grace as, uh, as, as in giving. And we know Jesus is the one who gave uh, the most. The most generous giver is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as ones who say that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the invitation is for us to respond in the same way through the act of grace, giving. Sometimes we ask, like, how much do I give? You're saying 10%? I said, no, it's not. I want you to consider this. What if Jesus did 10%? He was scourged. Now, we don't know whether he was scourged according to the Jewish way, which is 40, but they would stop at 39, lest they miss the count. So 39, and 10% of that is 3.9. I don't know how, the, let's say 4. The Romans didn't keep a count. They would just beat you to pulp. If Jesus was scourged only 10%, then he says, okay, now, now, now the rest is for the others, for us, right? Or, or if he was, he was on the cross for six hours, and after six hours, it's 36 minutes, 10%. And after 36 minutes, he comes down, it's all right, now it's your turn. Or Great Commission, if he tells his disciples, I want you to go to 10% of the population and share God's word and give 10% of the gospel, we would not be saved. We want to thank God that Jesus, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he gave of himself, that he made himself poor so that in his poverty we would be made rich. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, wanted, I want you to jump down to verse 12. For of the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I, I like that because if you're ready, give what you got is what Paul is saying. Generosity is not about the size of your wallet. It's about the attitude of your heart. We need to be able to say, I, I want to give because I have received, freely received, freely give. If that is not the culture that we have, if that is not the attitude that we have, if we are penny pinching about what we want to give back, you will not experience the joy of this act of grace that God is inviting us to. To give what we have. But the question we began with is, what if I can't, if I don't have enough money? What, uh, in fact, uh, uh, the BDO Canadian Affordability Index, uh, it, it lists uh, where we as Canadians are in our debt, in our you know, ability to meet the month, because many of us would say there's more month left at the end of the money, right? More than 50% have, uh, they, they live paycheck to paycheck. 
more than 25% are under extreme debt. And more than 27% say they don't have enough for the need. And I'm saying, we're just like the Macedonians. And this passage is just for us. If Paul were to write and change Macedonia to Canada, it says, you Canadians, I mean, we, it literally goes for us. And see how the Macedonians responded in that extreme poverty in their extreme affliction, but yet with great joy, we are given the opportunity. And Paul would commend us, not just Paul, God would commend us, not because we have this abundance of wealth, but with abundance of joy for the favor of participating in this act of grace. And I know oftentimes this sound like a, it sounds like a guilt trip. Now, I don't want to lay the guilt trip on you. I just want to go through the passage of what Paul is doing because guilt is working from outside in. It's, that's not the intent. That is not what Paul is doing. That is not biblical pattern. But it's for us to understand that we have an eternal opportunity to be generous just as our Lord has uh, or, or continues to be. And so I want to give you three quick practical steps. Because if you find yourself in a place where you're not able to give generously as you want, because the Corinthian church, they experienced that they wanted to be generous. They had the desire, but they probably didn't have the discipline. They didn't know how to do it, and that's why Titus is sent. And so we see this pattern saying that there needs to be some adjustments that need to be made. So the first one I want to call it is to manage your money. That's the first practical step. Because if you don't manage the money, it's going to manage you. Money is a bad master, but a great slave. And you want to keep that that way. You don't want to switch it because it is a bad master. And if you find yourself uh, a slave to it. I, I, I speak of this uh, with experience now, especially after you come back from a vacation. Did you know money speaks? It does. Because, you know, it doesn't? No, it does. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, when you're visiting, you want, you want to be able to say, I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to pay for that, like money speaks, as in, oh, I can afford it, right? You need to tell money to shut up. It shouldn't speak. Because if it speaks the wrong kind of assurance into you, we are saying, I'm going to manage this money. And what convicted me is this. You know, we, we tend to say, that's all right, God's going to give. God's going to give. God's going to provide. And he does. I mean, he's a gracious, benevolent God. But from reading the parables, I understand this, that if I'm a bad steward, in the little thing that God has given, he's not going to give me an opportunity to be a steward of greater things. If I'm not a steward of the, of the resources that God has given to me today, and I assume that God is going to take care of that, I am being a bad steward. I'm not managing the money that God has given me. I need to be able to say, I'll be a good steward. So that 
I don't know what God has in store, but that I'll be faithful in this little thing, that I'll be made a steward of greater things. And second, I want you, the second practical step is I want you to name your money. That's about, you know, uh, budgets. Budgeting is how you uh, make money behave. And, and, and the way you budget is you, you have to do that before you get your money. You have to name every dollar for every bucket that you got so that you don't overspend. You're saying, that's the money for that bucket. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend that for that. There is a website, and I'll send you a link later through email and WhatsApp. Um, I was broke, now I'm not. And there are free resources there of how to manage money. And why this is important, church, why is this important is because for long we have, we have kept going. We have said that, you know, I, you know we don't want to talk about money. And every, you know, many of us are just about uh, managing our expenses. Time is going gone by. And, and if, the, if the Macedonians were to say, Macedonians understood this, saying that if I were to wait till I have enough money before I can invest in eternity, they would probably still not have given. That's what may have happened to the Corinthian church. We don't want that to happen to us. And I, I, I spoke to Ross, and I, uh, he's a financial guru or advisor or whatever that be, but... But he is willing. If you want to go and talk to him in, in private, he won't even tell Shirley about it. Shirley didn't know. The, but you can talk to him, and he's willing to help us. Because I, I, I'm telling you, this is about stewardship. This is not about, you know, this is not a financial class that I'm doing. It's because I hurt. And I'm beginning to see that if this is going to be the life that I'm going to be living where I miss out on eternal opportunities, I, I'd better do some change at the beginning of the year. And so, let us be like the Macedonians. And the third principle is that you would invest in eternity. Invest your money eternally. The next step, next slide, please. <clears throat> so you ask, how do you, you know, how do I do this? You know, examples in the Bible are uh, range from giving a glass of cold water. How, like, how gracious is our God? Like, who here cannot give a glass of cold water? This is about service. This is about having this generosity at heart. Then it goes on to say in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, as you look around and even here, there are people who need, and, and if you were to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in sacrificially, tighten my expense, forget the five bucks, and you know, I'll have Tim Hortons investing Eternally, and I, I, we were doing our budget uh, last year for this year, and we saw that in the past two years, we have not been uh, supporting a missionary systematically. I mean, we've been giving 
you know, as, as and when we could. And I, I don't think that's the way we want to do because we want to be able to say to this missionary, we are praying for you. We want to support you. We want to be with you in this journey. I, I, I'm, I'm coming back from a high, having met some of these people who are genuine and, and they work hard and they, they just depend on God. And, and, I, I, and I pray to God. Uh, we read about that in 1 John chapter uh, 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 i believe it is that where where we can be partners in this walk in truth in the, in the grace and that's the opportunity that we have so even as a church we have an opportunity to give so what do we what do we do what 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 we will do for one is uh, we'll send you a survey to ask, like, do you know names of people who we can prayerfully support? Or, like, do we, uh, one of the things that happened when I went to India is, uh, is I went and met these people uh, renting homes or spaces for church is increasingly becoming difficult. And I'm not suggesting that we have to support only India, but I'm giving you an example that, that people don't want to rent to a church anymore. They have to, you know, build for themselves. Maybe that's the ministry that God is calling us to for this year. But let's deliberate. Let's pray. Let's, let's be ones who are generous, just like the Macedonian church. Because our vision statement or the vision verse that we have is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, that we would all mature to the full stature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it says, that we will never be more like Christ. The next slide, please. We are most like Christ when we give and forgive. This act of grace is what God is inviting us to. And I pray that, that we will be a church that will be commended for its giving. Would you rise up with me as I pray for all of us? Father God, we want to thank you for your goodness. Thank you, O oh God, that, that we can stand here saying that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that as a church and as individuals, we will learn from the Macedonian church who learn to give and be generous from their heart. And we pray that as a church, you would lead us, Lord, to to this DNA, to this culture of being a generous church, a church that would impact it, uh, the world because it makes an impact in eternity. And we, we pray this as individuals that for each one of us, I don't know who are the ones who are struggling financially. We pray that we can make those adjustments so that, so that uh, we can look at eternity. We, we don't want to be uh, around the throne ha having missed out an opportunity to lay up our treasures. Because you said, Lord, where our heart, where our treasure is, there, there is our, our heart will also be. And we pray that, that our treasures are laid up in heaven uh, eternally for your glory and for your joy alone. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful community of the work that you're doing. Uh, we have seen this for ourselves in each one of our lives. You are working among us, and we are so thankful for that. And so we, we stand here with gratitude, and we pray that our generosity would also be acknowledged before you.
In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray. We pray for the grace, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the presence of our, of our Father, and the sweet comfort of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us. And in the undertakings that we take, and in our desire to be a generous church, a church that is willing to give because of the size of its heart. And we pray all of this for your glory alone. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen.